0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights and information or simply learning from them. And today we have got Ethan Brown, founder and host of PBS Climate Podcast, The Sweaty Penguin, straight away from Orange, California. Welcome to the show, Uh, Ethan. Just... uh, Welcome to the show.
1: Ah, oh, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah. So straight, straight to that point, uh, to our point. But before, let me just put it this way. You know, it's it's a sunny morning in uh, from where I am in New Delhi, but it's not always like that. At this time of the year, many times, you know, we have got the palm fires and all, and that leads uh, always raises the question of climate change and how things are, you know, changing very quickly adversely for our planet, and we got to do whatever we can to uh, to save it. In, 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 we hear, hear about farm fires from your part of the world, from almost every part of the world. And, you know, these are alarming stuff. We have got record hurricanes, wildfires, fire heat waves, and other climate disasters uh, which we keep on reading about. And, you know, it's it's a huge toll of humanity on, on environment. But coming straight away to your podcast, uh, uh, Ethan, what does "sweaty penguin" mean? And you take it up from there about environment.
1: So the "sweaty penguin" is a comedy environmental podcast. After that introduction you gave, I, it can hard it can be hard to imagine that uh, combining with comedy, but uh, that's what we do. Uh, each episode focuses on a specific environmental issue. We'll talk about the um, problem, uh, how it affects the environment, economy, health, justice, etc. And then uh, talk about a variety of solutions. And within that, we'll discuss the pros and cons. We're not really advocating a specific solution to a problem. Uh, we just want to have the discussion. And that segment is a comedy monologue. So there's also a lot of jokes in there. Then our second segment, will interview an expert. Um, we've interviewed professors from 11 countries across five continents. It's been such a pleasure to hear perspectives from all around the world. Right, right. Uh, Ethan, you have
0: done, obviously, studies in environment and climate uh, when you were at Boston, but how did this, you know, full-fledged coming into uh, podcasting on climate, can you tell us about your journey on that part?
1: I first learned about climate change in maybe middle school, high school, and I certainly found it to be a little scary, very important, but I didn't find it interesting. I wasn't excited to learn about it. I think I was more overwhelmed than anything else. And it really took me deciding to go to college for film and television at Boston University. I wanted to be a storyteller. And I felt like that was such an important story that I really just kind of forced myself to keep trying to learn about it. And eventually, after taking college courses, I started to learn maybe what was holding me back, not just is this stuff really overwhelming and depressing? It's also very politically uh, polarizing. And so I wanted to find ways to communicate these issues to maybe like my past self, someone who is struggling to learn about this stuff and find it interesting. And having had experience with comedy writing, having had experience just writing about the environment and my film and television degree, it made sense to sort of combine all those interests into this podcast.
0: Right. Why does uh, why does the talk on, you know, environment awareness about climate change? Why does it become political? What have you learned out of all, all this year? Why does it have to become political about uh, political at all? You know, it's it's, it's at, at the end of the day, it's just one world that we have got, one planet we have got, you know, one blue dot, you know, in the distance, <laughs> in, in, in such a huge universe we've got for ourselves.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think the reason it gets political, the problems themselves are not. The fact that climate change is happening, that humans are causing it, the fact that hurricanes and wildfires and heat waves are not something we like, that all I think we can agree on, that's science, Um, but where it does get into policy... And this is where I think it actually gets fun is when we talk about solutions. When we talk about how do we make the world better for the future? And you can do that in a variety of different ways. It can be regulation. It can be market policy. It can be uh, just um, private governance. It can be technologies. It can be individual actions to an extent. So there's all different ways you can go about solving a problem. And that's where it is political. That's what politics is able to help us do. But so often that gets jumbled into the actual problems and maybe people are only hearing one type of solution and they'll start to feel like they don't like that solution, so they're just going to shy away from the problem. And so we're really trying to separate those out, talk about the problems, and then talk about a variety of solutions. And hopefully that can um, create common ground for people and make them feel more comfortable engaging in these topics.
0: Yeah, so then then who's problem is, is it? Whose responsibility is to save our planet? Is it, is it the politician? Is it the corporate? Is it, is it what you call common people? Is it a simple man staying deep down in the Amazon and trying to do, still not be, you know, polluting in, in his in his own way? And, and a lot of many people in villages doing nothing to pollute the environment, uh, but still, you know, bearing the brunt of it. So whose job is it anyway?
1: Well, I see everyone as is- being able to have a role, but I don't mean that in a kind of kumbaya way. (laughs) Obviously politicians and world leaders have much more capacity to create change. And I guess whether you want to use the word responsibility or just the word um, capacity, uh, they certainly have a lot of power there. They can get a lot done. But individuals can use their own voice in a number of ways. It can be through activism, as I know a lot of young people have taken to, but that wasn't for me. I went to a protest a few years ago and just was claustrophobic and didn't like it. I also love getting into nuances, you can probably tell, so I can't just write something on a sign and feel confident in what I've written. So I found my voice was creating this podcast using my comedy writing experience, my film and television experience to communicate issues in a new way for other people that might be you're an engineer and you invent something maybe you're just working in an office and you set up some recycling there's so many things you can do but ultimately right. i think everyone can play a role but i'm not going to pretend that everyone has equal power here that's obviously not true
0: yeah but what okay so let's leave the world leaders to themselves you know even uh, I've, uh, the ch- activist last year, you know, I forget her, uh, don't recall her name right now, the child activist. Uh, she said to the world, it is, I dare you, you know, and then actually nothing happened after that. They are still in their own world. What for us do you think as common people, what can we do for the environment? Because you see, you have chosen a very uh, nice way of moving forward, you know, uh, that You are not demanding anything from anybody, you know, you're becoming more of an informer and you have chosen that sort of niche, not, you know, not sort of a confrontationist uh, uh, option, but but something to take everybody along and get done things for the planet that is possible. So what is your suggestion for the younger lot, for people like me and for, for general people as such?
1: To address your first point quickly, that was uh, Greta Thunberg who said that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly, exactly. um, International governance is really, really hard and I don't want that to (laughs) go unnoticed because every country is sovereign. They have the power to do whatever they want. The United Nations can't force anyone to do anything. Even if they've signed a treaty, there's no mechanism to force them to uphold what they've signed. So... Certainly you can be sanctioned. A country could wage war (laughs) if it came to it, but there's no real way to actually enforce any treaty that's being made. So we've done episodes on this. I encourage people to check that out, but that's one of the big challenges of environmental governance and something where um, I understand why world leaders have such a difficult time, even if it may be frustrating. To your other question, I think... That for me, again, since I came in not being so passionate about nature or any particular aspect, I really was just concerned about myself and my future and who knows uh, what that would look like. I just want to see something done and I don't necessarily care what specific policy that is. So I found it just really difficult to try to advocate specific policies when I'd be looking and saying, okay, there's pros and cons and uh, do I like it? Maybe. Could it help? Maybe, (laughs) but it it gets too complicated. So I found it was a lot more fun for me to just try to initiate the conversation, try to take it from what is the problem to how can we fix the problem? I think that's a much more productive conversation. And I think once we're there, then maybe my role goes away and other people can pick up the mantle
0: yeah but you you keep on talking to a lot of experts you know who have got you know so many good great ideas have you picked up any ideas that you'd like to share for for the general population you know uh, though though the fight is different in different corners of the world but some of the uh, solutions are uh, are very much adapt uh, can be adopted by a lot of people across
1: the world Oh, there's been so many things I've learned, and I'll give one that might be of interest to your audience, and I'm sure you've talked about this a bit, but the environment and the economy are Hmm. not this opposing force that I feel like it's very often made out to be. Uh, Very often, uh, fixing the environment also helps the economy. You think about hurricanes, wildfires, all these disasters, certainly not having to clean those up saves you a lot of money. Uh, You think about how much the world has had to spend scrambling on coronavirus. If maybe we were more prepared, we would have saved trillions of dollars. Uh, You can say the same for climate. But even in the present, solar and wind are increasingly becoming uh, competitive energy sources on the market. And climate change, more often than not, is about efficiency. You think about if you are heating your home with uh, an inefficient heating system, you're wasting yeah. energy and wasting money. If you fix that, you can help the climate and uh, help your uh, bank account. So lots of different ways that we find in each and every episode how the environment and economy can actually work together if uh, you design it right.
0: Right, right. I, I will come more more on the... You know, ESG part and impact, uh, ESG investing and all, and sustainable uh, business. First, tell me the role of United, you know, UN Environment Program, and and what do you think of it? Should it do more? Has it done, or is that uh, you know, it has done so much that it doesn't need to be need to do anymore? Means, what it is there for a reason. Do you think it is doing what it is it is supposed to do?
1: UNEP is a really interesting conversation, and we've had it uh, in a couple different ways on the podcast. More recently, we talked about the fact that some scholars have been calling for UNEP to be more of a organization, sort of like World Health Organization. Right now, UNEP is sort of a coordinating body. They'll work with other bigger UN organizations. They are voluntarily funded so countries don't have to contribute money. There's no sanctions the way the World Trade Organization can sanction. So to a lot of people, that seems like a very powerless organization. And they felt like maybe if we could upgrade it, then it would be able to get more done. The expert we talked to, Maria Ivanova of UMass Boston, was actually arguing against that and saying that just because they don't have these powers doesn't necessarily make them less effective. In fact, UNEP was designed to be a very small and nimble organization that could coordinate other bodies, uh, sort of keep countries on the same page because they wanted to be rather than forcing them to be. So it was a really interesting conversation and I encourage people to, that would be episode 60, Rethinking UNEP Reform. I would encourage people to listen to that one. Um, But UNEP is a really fascinating thing because like I was saying, there is no mechanism and there really isn't a way to create one to hold countries accountable. You can do incentives, you can do sanctions, but all of that is voluntary and ultimately it takes actually willing countries into acting rather than forcing them to.
0: Okay. Uh, Ethan, on your website, I saw a very nice Advertisement. I don't know what to call it—advertisement or some sort of, you know, program. But it was about find your goat, you know. And and if do you remember? There's a, there's a good ad, and in, in that uh, there's a person who says that you got to find your own goat in life. You've got to work for the environment. But two different people will think about uh, you know solutions in a different manner. Uh, that was a great way to you know for, uh, to show how you can find solutions to environment problems. Why, why I tell you is that from our part of the world, the solution that was on your website, for us, we try and follow that every day. We got we we, we try to let even, you know, our animals play a good part in the way we, we have been living for centuries, like cows, uh, even goats. They're part of your families. And in cities, it's very difficult to, You know have them but but in smaller places like in when i was in my village i we we used to have a couple of cows so they used to take care of you know not only provide you milk but they used to also take care of a lot of uh, stuff like grazing on your farm in your fields and all so there to be you know you don't need to mow them in the way you uh, generally you need to do that in the uh in in the cities and that's i guess uh what what was the message that you know uh that that was on, that is on your website. Uh, it is very important. I understand that to get everybody on this planet, especially animals, which are you know who, who can make your life easy by just being a part of your life, like as I said, cows or goats or uh, or any anything else, even horse and all that all that stuff. That's every time we don't need to you know be dependent on all the heavy heavy mechanized sort of stuff when you need to... Be, and US, it's known, people use uh, have their big, big farms and they they have a lot of animals on those, on those farms, also horses and whatnot and all that stuff. But leaving that thing at that, the big question today is <coughs> that as you uh, mentioned about climate change is often framed as environment versus, versus economy. Why do you think this whole... Why it has turned out that way? Because however much you try, it will take a huge amount of energy to set it right. How how do you think this fight has gone awry, as you can say?
1: That's a good question. And I don't pretend to actually know the answer. But I guess what I observe in the environmental movement is... Very often there will be talk of large investments into solutions. There will be talk of sacrifice um, for solutions. There will be talk of reducing consumption. A lot of things that seem sort of anti-economy. There's also just a lot of, for example, solar and wind were not nearly as competitive as they are now, even 10 years ago. So at that time if we were saying let's throw out fossil fuels and transition yeah right. that would be a big cost um i'm very glad that those costs have come down and now we can actually talk about this as a benefit overall rather than a trade-off so i understand where that perception came from and why it might still persist but and certainly for you could constructs plenty of solutions that would hurt the economy. I tend to point that out as a con and I prefer talking about stuff that helps the economy as well, but yeah, there, there's ways that it could go either way, but I think that a lot can get done that can help both. And why not start there? That seems a lot more exciting to me.
0: Right. I guess, uh, uh, the corporate, or you can say the economy as such have started awakening to this sort of a stuff that there is somewhere you know some some uh, misconception about perhaps that that has come up a- everywhere. And that is why the term ESG or impact invest you know investing and sustainable investing has is coming up very, very strongly across every place, even India also it's coming up. So how do you see this? is this some sort of a course correction? Uh, would you like to look at it that way in some positive manner?
1: Absolutely. ESG is a very exciting, uh, I don't want to say new, but I guess companies are just starting to really understand it. Um, environmental, social, and governance and ESG kind of has three key benefits. First, it will, uh, increase profits, uh, more and more today, people are wanting to support and buy from ethical companies. Uh, Two, it will cut costs. Uh, You think about like an example I gave earlier, if you're not spending as much money on heating, then you're uh, saving money and helping the climate. A lot of ways that can go. And then third, it will uh, reduce risk. So you think about in the US right now, there's a lot of lawsuits going on with some of the major oil companies. You think right. about if they had been practicing with ESG, they might not have gotten embedded in these lawsuits. And that would have saved them a lot in legal fees and certainly a lot of bad press as well. Right. So right. there's these three key benefit categories um, to ESG. And I think that it's Very exciting that companies are starting to learn about this and understand it because ultimately, obviously policy really helps, but that's another way that you can move forward on climate change, even if policy is a little slow. That's maybe one of the drawbacks to policy. So uh, this is something that will happen a lot quicker once everyone is on board.
0: Yeah, but but I just fail to understand, you see, as individuals... Even you talk to top CEOs or you know founders of large corporations, they seem to be very concerned. They seem to be very awakened individuals. But when you talk about a company which is listed in the stock on the stock exchanges, then suddenly they, everybody uh, uh, looks at bigger profits and better profits, and that starts bordering off, you know, on greediness. Now. Is that, do you think, is the reason that this oil spills or or environmental pollution uh, is happening? And and the real talk on environment, saving our environment is actually not happening because of that. And that is where even they are influencing a lot of politicians across the world. You see, even in Brazil, uh, the Amazon forests are decreasing at a very faster rate. Now, how do you call that? So I would like you to look at it from a very wide angle from the U.S. to Brazil, even from India. See, we are trying to do, I would not, as an Indian, I would not go out and speak what good is happening, but I would try and understand because one corner of the world, even if it is very green, it will not save the planet in the long run. You know, at the end of the day, it's just a pale blue dot and it's becoming paler by the day because of environmental degradation. I want your lot of parts on this
1: ethan oh that's a lot to break down um yeah I think obviously there is a lot to be frustrated about from your part of the world regarding our part of the world and I have and we, certainly... are, we
0: are we are, the, we are one world at the end of the day yeah
1: absolutely and I think that a lot of countries are getting the short end of the stick. Most uh, historic emissions came from the global north and a lot of the impacts are hitting the global south. Um, So yeah, that's not fair. And hopefully um, everyone can get their act together uh, in this neck of the woods. In terms of greed, I guess I would say if these CEOs are greedy, then they're doing a bad job. Because again, ESG will make you more profitable. So why not? I think it's fine to say, yeah, we're going to do all these ESG practices and we're going to do it because we want more money and that's the best way to get it. I I think some people would be put off by that. Personally, again, I just want to see climate change get better. So if that's what it takes, then So be it. That's fine. Uh, We did an episode just recently about these oil company lawsuits. And I was thinking about if one of these companies just committed themselves wholeheartedly to ESG and they went into these lawsuits and said, hey, you know, we're uh, we messed up. Here's a few billion dollars. We're going to go get to work. Uh, Keep fighting these other oil companies. First off, I don't understand why they're acting like they're on the same team. These are competitors in the market. Why why Shell and Exxon and BP are all working together, I don't understand. But if uh, one of them just said, like, hey, we're going to commit to this, they certainly make a lot more money. They might not have to go down these lawsuits. All of these companies are losing investors left and right. Maybe those investors start coming back so many things could start to turn around for them. Um, And of course, that would take a big big leap to get the public to trust them. And I think that's where you really just have to stay committed, stay the course, keep uh, listening and adapting and improving. But ultimately, if you did this, all the other companies would have to follow along because you'd be squishing them to dust if they don't. Given that right. you're making more money. And then think about that CEO after they retire. They're suddenly on the board of every big company. They're selling a best selling book. They're doing talks. They're uh, hailed as a great CEO. They're making so much money after they end this job. So I think there's a lot of interesting ways that ESG could play out. And I hope that in some of these more polluting industries uh, that companies start to look and say, hey, do we want to be the next tobacco? Do we want to be the next coal? Uh, Do we want to be the next lead paint? Or do we want to actually get our act together and uh, lead us into a new generation?
0: So Ethan, with the the environment and climate being as they are, where they are, are you more overwhelmed by the issues arising out of these? Or are you more positive towards what you have learned as solutions? How do you see that? Because you do the same thing, same talk day in and day out, you know, and it's it's and and even though you may find some you know funny way to talk about such serious issues, it's very, very difficult to also, you know, keep that positivity in you. How do you do that? And how do you see this whole as a whole?
1: There's obviously cause to feel both overwhelming, sorry, to feel both overwhelmed and positive with climate change. Obviously thinking about the way the future could change and the fact that we're really struggling to uh, improve it is just overwhelming by nature. That said, I think I always feel optimistic when there's solution ideas on the table. There's good conversations happening. And ultimately, we try to reframe this in a way that's less overwhelming. I think very often a lot of climate communication will use phrases like, how do we fix climate change? How do we stop climate change? That's just not happening. We can uh, do a lot to improve, but Neither of those are attainable goals because climate change is here right now. We've already put a lot of carbon into the atmosphere. We've warmed the planet over a degree Celsius. We're seeing the effects of that. And that's gonna continue. So what we can do is try to get climate change under control, try to create a future that is as similar to the one or as similar to what we have now or as similar to what we like about what we have now as we can. I think that's a much more realistic uh, way to look at it. I think ultimately that's kind of what world leaders are trying to do by, uh, for better or worse, the Paris Agreement sets this 1.5 degrees Celsius budget. Um, If we were to hit that, certainly things are a lot better than if we warmed it 8, 10 degrees Celsius. So we can talk about it that way. And when we do, then all of these solutions look a lot better because ultimately none of them are gonna fix anything, but they're gonna improve the future.
0: Right, improve the future. And that's what we owe it to the, not only for ourselves, but also to the future generations. Uh, On that note, on on that note, uh, you want to say something? Oh no. Okay. So on that note, uh, uh, something for the good for the future. On that note, uh, Ethan, it's a wrap on this edition of the KJ Masterclass. Thank you very much for coming in and giving your time. Thank you oh, very thank much. Thank so That's much
1: good. for having me. Thank
0: you.